So turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 23. We're continuing our study. And remember, these are the holy days. God set, uh, gave it to the nation of Israel. Why? To set them apart as a people group because they have certain holidays, certain things to remind them of God's works because most of the holidays or the feast had something to do with what God had done or will do. And it also was foreshadow of future events. In fact, all of these things, when you think of Passover, you think of Jesus dying on the cross. When you think of first fruits, you think of Jesus resurrected. When you think of Pentecost, you think of the coming of the church. And those, all those kind of things, they all uh, come together. This morning, we're going to look at a thing called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's a high holy day on the Jewish calendar. Let me just say something about atonement, just the word itself. The word, the Hebrew word means to cover. In the Old Testament, it has the idea that sin was covered. It does not mean paid for. It means covered. In theology, when you read, if you read a theology book or if you read books how people are talking about and they'll say the atoning work of Jesus Christ or the atonement, and they're talking about the payment for sin. So in theology, a lot of people use the word atonement to mean payment. The actual word doesn't mean payment. It means covering. So when we use it from a biblical standpoint, it always means covering. If you're using it from a theological standpoint, uh, you're going to find that people use it for payment. So we're not talking about payment. The Day of Atonement is the Day of Covering. It was a high holy day on the Jewish calendar. And so uh, this is uh, all the other feasts were happy. This is a feast that they afflicted their souls. And we're going to see how it fits together as we go through it. So our, think about it. Our goal as a believer is to live holy lives, to live righteously and godly. Chapter two, uh, Titus chapter 2 says, The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and we'll right, live righteously and godly in this present age. Peter writes that we're to be holy. But sometimes... We sin. We fall short. We openly rebel against God and His Word. In fact, think about it, that there are times when you mess up and you really wasn't, you weren't planning to mess up. You just did it. And then there are times that you actually say, I'm going to do this on purpose. And there are two different aspects. And we'll talk about it more in a minute. But what do we do? Well, we confess our sin. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Confession means to admit that we sin. And confession means to say the same thing that God says. Say to God, I lied. I did this. Whatever it is. Now, in the Old Testament, when you study sins, when you study uh, people bringing sacrifices and all the things, there are two kinds of sins. There was an unintentional sin and there was an unintentional sin. Unintentional was falling short. They sinned. They just, it was not presumptuous. Remember where David writes and says, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. Uh, uh, an unintentional sin is a sin that happened. You weren't really planning on doing it. It just happened. An intentional sin was planned. It's presumptuous. It's rebellious. It's you say, I know what's right or wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. Now, one thing you need to understand, that in the Old Testament, we always talk about what do people do when they sinned? Well, they sinned, so they'd bring an animal, and the animal would, they'd put their hands on the animal's head, and the animal would die in their place. That was for an unintentional sin. I want you to understand that sacrifice, there were sacrifices for unintentional sin, but there was no sacrifice for intentional sins. There weren't any. If you on purpose sinned in a rebellious way, you just expected the discipline of God. That didn't mean he's going to kill you or anything, but you just said, I don't have a sacrifice to cover over that because I planned to do it on purpose. And sometimes in our lives, I, I look at the passage and, and, uh, where it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
The word short there, uh, fall short is harmatia, which means to not measure up. That's an unintentional sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we've all tried and sometimes we just don't measure up or we messed up. But then there's other places where it talks about we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The word trespasses there means to step over the line. It means that there's, this is wrong. You know it's wrong and you say, I'm going to do it anyway. That's unintentional. For us, in the New Testament, it doesn't matter what sin it is. We confess our sins. He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. In the Old Testament, there wasn't a covering for an intentional sin, but for unintentional. So, but, but once a year, here's what they did. Once a year, there was a sacrifice that dealt with both unintentional and intentional sin, and it was what happened on the Day of Atonement. So we're going to see that. So just think about this. In the Old Testament, sins were covered. That's atonement. In the New Testament, sins are paid for. 1 John 2, 2. He is the satisfactory payment. The word is propitiation, which means satisfactory payment, not for her sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So we're going to see that. Let me remind you, we've looked at five sections. Weekly feast, which was the Sabbath. The monthly feast was new moon. We're in the yearly feast. We're looking at seven uh, feasts that were found in Leviticus 23. There's going to be more. We've got some more yearly feasts that aren't found in Leviticus. Then then we're going to have the non-yearly feasts, sabbatical and year of Jubilee. And then these special feasts, like a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah or the wedding feast. We're going to see how those tie together. Now I'm going to quickly just go through this. But if you remember, we have been seeing how these fit together. And uh, in, Reve- uh, in Leviticus chapter 7, we have uh, the seven feasts. The first one was Passover. Passover on the 14th day of the first month and uh, is Passover. And it reminded them of their deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. And so that was the bottom line. They would kill an animal, put the blood on the door. They came out of Egypt. So that once then they would have a feast called the uh, Passover. And they would remember Jesus died on Passover to be our Passover lamb. Then there was the 15th to the 21st 21st unleavened bread, a picture of the Messiah, holy and sinless. We're supposed to be holy and sinless as well, but that's what unleavened bread was. Then, the day after the Sabbath in that week, there was the Feast of first fruits, which was a picture of resurrection. It is so amazing that Jesus died on Passover and Jesus rose from the grave on first fruits. The first day of the week. It was the first day of the week. It's a Sunday. And so it's an amazing thing that when you look at the feast that God gave to Israel, some... 1,400 years before, uh, even more than that, before Jesus was born. And these feasts look forward to what he's going to do. Passover, look forward to Jesus, the Passover lamb. And unleavened bread as the perfect life. And the first fruits as the resurrection. Well, if you remember, there's another one. And that was, they counted 50 days from the Feast of First Fruit. And it was Pentecost. And it was just so amazing because in Pentecost, they would go out. They would take two loaves of bread that were both leavened bread which meant sin in their minds. And they would go out and they would wave them together and bring them together and they would read the book of Ruth and they would do all this. And if you ask them, what are you doing this for? And they'd say, well, it's because the harvest time. Why do you read the book of Ruth harvest time? But what they didn't really realize is it was a picture of the church, Jew and Gentile coming together, the two loaves. And if you read the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is a story of a Jew and a Gentile getting married. And so on the day of Pentecost, the church, us, Jew and Gentile coming together, were were, came together. So it's 
amazing. Then there were three feasts that, that were what we call the fall feast. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And we've seen those. This is the, the Feast of Trumpets is what we saw, I guess, last time. Yeah, and if you remember, we said there were the spring holidays, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost, fall holidays, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. And we are talking about Tabernacles. However, if you remember, Trumpets is so special. Because what we realized is the Feast of Trumpets was the gathering of the nation. It was a foreshadow of both the rapture and the second coming, even though the church was a mystery. Think about this. The rapture of the church, what happens at the rapture of the church? There'll be the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. And then at the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's coming, there'll be the trumpet sound as well. So we got it. So I just got us up to today. This is the day of atonement. It's found in Leviticus 23, uh, verses 26 through 28. It's the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of covering. I want you to look with me at Leviticus 23. Look at verse 26. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you and present an offering by fire to the Lord. Holy convocation means uh, you shall humble yourselves and present an offering by fire. Holy convocation means no work is to be done. And the next verse says it. You shall not do any work on this day for it is the day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. And basically goes on to say, if a person doesn't do the Day of Atonement, they're cut off from the people. And we're not sure what that means. Sometimes people think it means they're going to be put to death. Sometimes it means they're just removed from the fellowship of the people. It's called a holy convocation, which means it is a Sabbath day. It's a Sabbath of rest. Um, Verse 32 of Leviticus 23 says, It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest for you. You shall humble yourselves on the ninth month of the evening. From evening to evening you shall keep your Sabbath on the ninth before the tenth day. So they get ready for it. Now, sins were not paid for in the Old Testament. What were they doing? What were they? They were covered. That's why it's called Day of Atonement. Salvation is always by faith, whether it's Adam and Eve or Enoch or Noah or Noah, or Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Moses, or whatever, or David, or Daniel. All those people were saved by faith. Some of them were under the Mosaic Law. That's Moses' own for a while. And so when you start looking at all this, this is given to the Jewish people as a people group to cover their sins. Because let's face it, if Jerusalem is the capital, and the temple's at Jerusalem, and if you live in Nazareth, that's a long way. And if you sin at 8 o'clock in the morning... And you said, oh, I need to offer a sacrifice. By the time I get to Jerusalem, it's going to may, may not even make it there before the day is over. And then I may have to spend the night till the temple opens back up. And then I might offer a sacrifice for that sin. But no telling how many sins I might have done on the way down. And then as I start back, I go, well, I did another one. Now, do I need to turn around and go back? What are we going to do? And so when you look at it that way, how did the normal Jewish people do it? Well, we know that all Jewish males had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. So they all came at least three times a year, and they could deal with sin there. But there is this Day of Atonement, which basically they covered their sins. I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 16, okay? Just turn back a little bit. Leviticus chapter 16. And I want you to, we'll, we'll start at verse 4, but I'm going to show you something, uh, and then I'm going to put it up on the screen. Let's talk about the Day of Atonement. And that day was the most important day in the life of the high priest. 
the high priest, as you know, was supposed to be a descendant. Aaron and Aaron's oldest son, and then his oldest son, and then his oldest son, and his oldest. It's supposed to be passed down that way. By the time of Christ, it wasn't that way. They had been the high priest. Actually, there were two at the, the two at the same time at the time of Christ: a man and his son-in-law, uh, Caiaphas and Annas. And they were there because they had been appointed by the Romans. And so by the time of Jesus, everything was mixed up. But going all the way down, the high priest was the most important person in the camp. And he oversaw the tabernacle or the temple, and he handled everything. So let's give you, let me give you a quick picture of what happened on the Day of Atonement. The priest would come out in his robes. At the bottom of his robes were a bell and a pomegranate all the way around, alternating. And so when he walked, it jingled. He would come out in front of the people. They would hold up a sheet, some kind of something, and he changed clothes behind that and put on nothing but a white linen robe. Then they brought to him a bull and two goats. And before he would do anything, he'd take the bull and the two goats, and then he would, they would cast lots, and a lot would go on one of the goats called a scapegoat, and the other was called the goat for the Lord. And they would take the scapegoat, and they would take a ribbon and tie it around the horn of that goat. So the priest had a bull and two goats, and he's standing in front of all the people, and they're all watching him. And so it's now time to offer a sacrifice, and he's going to take a bull and he's going to kill the bull, and they're going to bring the bull up. He's going to put his hands on the bull, and this bull is sacrificed for him and his family. So he puts his hand on it, takes a knife, cuts the throat. They've got a bowl, a big bowl, and they catch the blood in the bowl as the animal dies, and they throws it on the altar. They got the blood. He goes into the front room, which certain priests could go in the front room, but nobody could go into the back room except the high priest, and only on this day. In the back room is the, tabern- is the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. He goes up to the curtain, and there's an altar of incense. He takes some of the altar of incense. He puts it behind the curtain so smoke will fill the room. If he doesn't put the smoke and the incense in there, if he goes in that room, he dies. So you know for sure he made sure that that smoke was in there. He also didn't know for sure if he would live if he goes in. The, pre- the presence of God is in that room. That's what they thought. That's how they looked at it. So here he is. He's got the blood, stirring it, make sure. And he's got the smoke in there. And he goes into the back room and he goes to the Ark of the Covenant and he takes and he pours out the blood. There, remember, on the Ark of the Covenant, there's those two angels looking down on a solid gold lid, which is called the mercy seat. He takes the blood and he sprinkles it on that and sprinkles it around it. That's for him and his family. Everybody knows he's gone in there. All the people out front are watching. He's gone in there. And they're all basically praying, I hope he comes out. I hope he comes out. There is a legend, a tradition. It's not found in the scripture. There was a legend and tradition that they tied a rope around his ankle that when he went in there, if he didn't come out after a long time, they figured he died and they could drag him out. That's, we don't find that in the scripture, but that's some tradition that I've read. So he covers his sins. He comes back out. Comes back out. And they bring the goats. One is called the goat for the Lord. The other is called the 
scapegoat. He takes the goat for the Lord, cuts the throat, catches the blood. This is for all of the people of Israel. This is covering their sins. He takes it, animal dies, he takes the blood, he goes in there, he makes sure there's incense in that room, he goes in that room and he sprinkles it out again, sprinkles the blood on top of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And then he comes back out. And when he comes back out, all of the people, I'm sure, went, because what that meant was their sins were what? Covered for another year. But they're not through because it's really a picture of death and resurrection. And so he comes out and one goat is dead, but he takes the other goat called the scapegoat. He puts his hands on that goat and says, all of the sins of the people are on this goat. And a person designated takes the goat, leads it out, leads it out to the wilderness, never to come back. It's a picture of their sins being taken away as far as the east is from the west. And that was the Day of Atonement. So I just put this up here for you, just so you could see it. Um, that he put on the white clothes, he picked the bull and the goat, he cast lots for the Lord, scapegoat, he offered the bull, sent her into the holy place, blood on the altar, killed the goat, blood in the holy place, and then the scapegoat taken out. Some say that they took it out as far as 12 miles. I don't know all, all about that, I just wanted you to see that. Now look at, look at Leviticus chapter 16. I want you to see this. I'm going to just go so quickly through this, but I want you to see it. This, look at uh, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron, here it is, this is the start, he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the atoning cover which is on the ark or he'll die. I will appear in a cloud. So here's what he's going to do. Verse, uh, verse 4. This, this is talking about Aaron. He shall put on his holy linen tunic and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. He shall be wrapped around the waist with a linen sash and his linen turban wound around his forehead. These are his holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. That's what's going to happen. Then look down at verse 6. Then Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, that he may take atonement for himself and for his household. Uh, Look down at verse 7. He shall then take two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord fell and make a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell, he shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to send it in the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now, that is what he's supposed to do. That's what he's going to do. Now, the next verses tell it. Look what it says. So then Aaron shall offer the bull. This is verse 11. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself. For his household, he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. So he's killed the bull. He shall take the fire pan full of coals of fire upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely sweet incense and bring inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of incense may cover the atoning cover so that it is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, what does it say? He will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the atoning on the east side. Also in front of the atoning cover, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So I didn't say all that, but that's what he does. He sprinkles everything. Then watch what happens. 
then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkle on the atoning cover, and in front of the atoning cover. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel. I'll stop right there just for a second. And then if you, uh, if you notice on, on, on this and on your handout where it says scapegoat, it says 18 and 19, it should just say verse 20 there, okay? After verse 16 goats, it should just say verse 20, the scapegoat. Let me, let's go up there a little bit and look at verse 20. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. And he shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the wrongdoings of the son of Israel, all their lawful acts, unlawful acts regarding sin. He shall place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who stands ready. The goat shall carry on itself all the wrongdoings to an isolated territory. He shall release the goat into the wilderness. That's the day of atonement. And so here you are, the priest, you come out, you change clothes, you get a bull, you get two goats, you sacrifice the bull, you take the blood, you put the, all, the incense in there, you go in, sprinkle it out, you come back, you kill the goat, you take the blood, you do the, all, the incense, you go in, you cover it, you come back out, you put your hands on the other goat that's alive, the guy standing there with the goat, and he leads it out into the wilderness, and then it actually goes on to say that he changes his clothes and puts back on his regular robe. And so that is the day of covering, the day of atonement. I think it's beautiful. I think it's, it's amazing. Now, watch this. The Old Testament was a covering, but the New Testament is not a covering. It's a payment. 1 John 1, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who does what? What does it say? That takes away the sin of the world. It didn't say covered the sins of the world. It says take it away. 1 John 2, 2. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the... Entire world. He's the satisfactory payment. I want you to see something. I'm going to go over there. You don't have to turn there. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to this. This is Hebrews 10. And he says at the very beginning, because he's going to deal with this issue, and he says in verse 4, he says, but he said it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats. What's he referring to, bulls and goats? Day of Atonement. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What did the blood of bulls and goats do in the Old Testament? Co covered sin. That's all they did. And the high priest covered his sins basically with the bull. And the regular people had their sins covered with the goat. And therefore they were covered for the ne till the next time. Now that didn't mean that when they sinned, they said we don't have to do anything. If it was possible, it was close, they were to fulfill the Mosaic law and to do the sacrifices and do all the things they were supposed to do. You'll read in the Old Testament, sometimes it'll say that a person was blameless before the Lord. That has a dual meaning. Blameless for the Lord means they were a believer, but blameless for the Lord also means they did everything they could to keep the Mosaic law. See, people say you can't keep the law. No, we don't mean keep the law perfectly. We mean that when you sin, the law had provisions and they were supposed to do that. One of the great provisions for them was this one. Listen to this right here. I love this. Every priest stands daily ministering and ministering time after time the same sacrifices which can never t take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How can Jesus sit down? Huh? It's finished. 
Yeah, you understand that in the tabernacle and in the temple, there were no, set, there were no, no chairs. There were no place for a priest to sit down because his work was never finished. When Jesus offered the final sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down. It's just beautiful. Let me read you one other thing. This is Hebrews uh, chapter 9. Listen to this if I can find it. 11. Uh, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with his hands, but into heaven itself, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place forever. It's amazing. And so Jesus actually, when he died on the cross, and we don't know when he did it, he went into the tabernacle or the temple in heaven and poured out his blood on the Ark of the Covenant that's in heaven. It's amazing. We've taught that before. I just think it's uh, amazing. So that's the Day of Atonement. And the Jewish people, now I said last week, I'd tell you what they do today. I have a friend that, that lot, it, this is according, if you're Jewish, you can say, I'm Jewish, and you don't believe anything. You just say, I'm a Jew. You could say, I'm Jewish, and I hold to some things in the Bible, I don't hold some things in the Bible. And then you could say, I'm Jewish, and I try to keep uh, the dietary restrictions, I try to keep the feast days. And then there's some that, that they don't cut their hair down, they wear this, they're, they're called Hasidic Jews, and they say, we try to keep everything perfectly. Okay? So, so it varies. And so when some people say, what do Jewish people believe? You could say, well, what do Christian people believe? Because there are Christian people who don't believe the Bible at all. And then there are Christian people who say, I believe the Bible, but not this part. Then there are Christian people who say, I believe the Bible, but I don't think that's right. And then there are some who say, I hold to the Bible, and I try to hold to it every aspect. So it, to simply say, what do Jews believe? But I have a friend that he told me that his family, because there was no temple and there was no place to offer sacrifices ever since A.D. 70, his family on the Day of Atonement kills a chicken, and they swing it above their head like this. And the blood is swinging, swinging out, and that's covering their sins. And they basically say, if somebody said, why do you do that? They say, well, we don't have a temple. We don't have a, we don't have a way to carry this out. And, of course, why don't they have a temple now to carry out sacrifices? Because Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. The Mosaic law is, is over as far as we're concerned, as far as the church age is concerned. So... It's, it's kind of amazing stuff. Let me give you, let me look at the time. Okay, let me give you the uh, applications real quickly and we can go to Grow Group. Um, let's understand the flow of the Day of Atonement. I know there was a lot there, but if you just go to number 16, I'm, I'm sorry, Leviticus 16, you can follow right down and see what the priest does. I like showing it. I think it, it adds a lot when you say he came out here and he did this and he went in there. It just adds a lot. You can actually sort of see it. So understand the flow. And then in the Old Testament, it's covering of sin. And, and then let's be thankful that Jesus paid for all sin. And we brought it up this morning in the first service. If you had not been in there, you'll hear this. But see, people think, a lot of people think that Unbelievers go to hell because of their sin. Nobody goes to hell for sin because Jesus paid for it all. He's the final sacrifice for sin forever, 1 John 2, 2. And so he's the one. So we have to deal with sin in our Christian lives, but he's, the, he's paid for all sin. And so the issue for salvation is not sin. The issue for salvation is faith. Just remember that. When people come up and they start saying, you better repent of this and do this and turn from this and all this, the issue isn't dealing with your sin. The issue is believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And we don't, we don't want people to sin, but the issue isn't sin. The issue is faith in Christ. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the key.